Good to see you, Brother Gunn. Good to be here. How was work today? Uh, the town was nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here vacation. Okay, good. All right. Uh, I'm going to go through some of Revelation in the month of August, and it may spill over until September. I suspect that it will. And so there are a lot of books written about Revelation, the book of Revelation, and there is always an interest in prophecy, end times, things like that. It's always been that way since I've been saved. Since the 70s, there's always been interest in the book of Revelation because people are always interested in what's going to happen. And with that is all kinds of guessing about what's going to happen in this world. Uh, you've heard the word apocalypse. That is a word that people use to refer to the revelation, the things in the revelation, the book of Revelation, the tribulation. And so there's always been interest about that. Whenever there is disaster, natural disasters, or political upheavals, or things that are affecting the world, people think, oh, this must be it, or it's coming. And so a lot of speculations go on about end times. Um, it's been going on since I got saved in 1970, and probably it's been going on way before I was ever born. There's always been an interest in end times last days. Probably if you had a chance to talk to your friends at work or other places, or if you just tuned into this or that program, every once in a while you see something about end times or about prophecy. Uh, lately, a lot of Christian movies have come out. Not all of them are really good or scripturally sound, but the fact that there are people producing movies with a Christian viewpoint, which is a good thing as opposed to a Hollywood type production about uh, end times. And usually people get it all wrong when they bring out movies about end times, especially from the secular side. And on the Christian side, a lot of them uh, bypass the rapture, just coming to the second coming of Christ, things like that. And so there's always a blending of truth and error. And so from my viewpoint, I'm glad that there is some kind of a witness out in the secular world. And I do wish that there'd be some production that is pretty much biblical, and yet it is it gets your attention. Having said all of that, there's a lot of interest in the book of Revelation. It is the 27th book of the canon of scripture for the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, it's often called the book of Revelations. Revelations. Plural. But it's the book of Revelation. So there's no plural there. It's the, revelation, the book of Revelation. But I understand what they mean when they say revelations, it's because of what is contained in the book of Revelation. And so a lot of different things are brought up and God exposes a lot of things. And so uh, Roman Emperor Domitian at that time announced that quote, he was Lord God Domitian and I command you. And so he's that emperor, that Roman emperor that put John the apostle on the island in the Aegean Sea on this island called Patmos. He was a penal colony. He was put there. We're not sure how he was treated, but he had time to write things. And so during that time, he was given by the Lord the book of Revelation, not Revelations. All right, so that's very important to know. And so that's when it was written. Now, the book of Revelation is an unveiling. Revelation is unveiling. It is a revealing. It is a disclosing. It is a like a stage play production. I think we've all been to one growing up through school and we were always involved in plays, which I always hated because you had to memorize lines and things. And I did memorize the Crest commercial. You know that back that toothpaste? Crest has been shown to be an effective decayer of NFS when used in an early, and I forgot the rest now, uh, hygiene, third grade of uh, something. I could I could repeat it, but not now, not tonight. See, I got myself in the jam here. But uh, when the audience is seated and the curtains are closed, you don't see what's on the stage. When the curtains are open, when the time finally comes for the, 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 the play to begin, act one, scene one, the curtains open, and what do you see when the curtains open? You see 
what's on the stage, the props, the furniture, the actors. That's what you see. When the curtain is closed, you cannot see, but when it is open, you are seeing, it's been revealed to you what is going on. And that's really the general idea about the revelation. Now there's some other Bible verses in the New Testament that talks about revelation or an unveiling or a disclosing and it gives us this idea that the revelation is just that. It is presenting something to you. Let's look at some Bible verses that gives us that clue. Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And verse number 18. 818. Different words that gives us the idea that God is about to unveil some things in the book of Revelation. We see the concept of revealing something in these other Bible references. Revelation chapter 8 verse number 18. This is about what will happen in glory. And do you know that Revelation chapter 8? Revelation 8? I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Did I say Revelation? I'm sorry, brother. It's just the, I must be hungry or something. I can't think straight. Rain freeze. I'm glad some of you noticed that. That means you did turn to the Bible reference. Revelation. I said it again. Romans. Romans. We're going to ask the book of Revelation into Romans as an example. Chapter 8, verse number 18. Romans, Romans, Romans. Chapter 8, verse number 18. It says this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, this is about when we get to heaven and we don't now in this body, in this flesh, fully comprehend what it will be like in heaven. But when we get there, when we get there, it shall be revealed. It shall be disclosed. The curtain will open. We didn't realize what a blessing it is to be in God's presence. Right now, we kind of think we know what it's like, but we don't know what it's like. Look at verse number 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, when we get to glory, we hope it'll be a certain way, but we don't really know. But when we get there, it'll be made known unto us. It'll be manifested to us. It'll make, now I see. Now we don't see. We see through a glass darkly now. We don't see the whole picture. Let me back up. We only see a little bit about what it could be like. We have enough Bible verse to tell us that heaven's a better place than this earth, isn't it? Uh, let me ask a, a survey question tonight. And by this question, those who are watching the video, would you rather stay here forever or be in heaven? The question then I ask is why? There must be reasons why you say that. For some people, they'd rather stay here on this earth. And they have their reasons. Well, the climate is great. The weather is good. If you lived in Michigan, you wish you were somewhere else in the wintertime. We've been there in the wintertime, Christmas. It's, it's fun for about two days. But when you're frozen and you're locked into your home because of the snow that's blocking you from opening your door and the, the road is covered with ice, black ice, it's very dangerous to be out. And, and if you're on the elderly side of things, you don't want to go out on your own. You better stock up your food in late fall because when winter comes, it'll be a long winter for you up in Michigan. My mother-in-law is going through has gone through that for 10 winters. She's never gotten used to it. She's a southerner from North Carolina, different kind of climate. Wintertime is a little bit cold, but it's not like cold up there. So there are reasons why people want to stay here. It just depends on your lot in life. For some people, everything about heaven is right here on earth. That's all the heaven that they know. They have their golf, they have their sports, they have their surfing, they have their beach, they have their Whatever they have. The food. Food's very important, isn't it? In this lifetime, food. Ah, food. You can bribe me for food. I'll give you half my kingdom if you give me the right kind of food. It's a big deal. It just depends who the persons are. It just depends what their values are. For a lot of people, all of heaven is just this lifetime. They have money here. They have material possessions. They have popularity. Uh, everything they want with a snap of the finger, they get that God has made literally. Do you remember that this 
famous entertainer, so famous that he could go to a mall after hours and go shopping any store that he wanted to, they'd keep it open for him. Michael Jackson, he could do that. He was that important to this world. As far as we understand, for people like that, their world, their heaven is right here on earth. But for the Christian, we're just passing through, remember? And so this is not our real, we're, we're just stopping by along the road of life. Now, I don't know, if you've ever had the chance to drive in the mainland on the freeways, it is a, it's a fun thing. You go 80 miles an hour, put in cruise control, and you just drive and drive and drink your IC, whatever you're doing, and you know, eat your peanuts and popcorn, listen to this and that, talk to whoever. And it's like, you're, you're just cruising. It's, do you know what I'm talking about, brother? Driving the freeway at cruise control, 80 miles an hour, 75 on the freeways now, it is like fun. It's a funny sensation. You don't realize how fast you're going. Um, this life, we're going by, we're going by quickly. We're passing, we're going from point A to point B. But point B is not the destination of another town, another state, crossing another state line. Oh no. The next point is just another day for us. Our real destination is beyond the horizon. And so this is why the Christian is told in Colossians chapter 3, set your affection on things above, because that's where your life is. Christ through his life shall appear, we shall appear, and so on. And so uh, in Romans chapter 8, we have this idea of expectation in verse number 19. We have this statement about revealing, revealing something being revealed in us. When we get there, we will then understand what this is all about and why it was worth it to, to live for Jesus Christ and to pay a price to live for him and why it was worth it to sacrifice for Jesus Christ's sake in this world. The, the purpose of Christian growth is to get you to the point in your life that you understand that and you really believe that. So right now, whatever stage we are in in the Christian walk, we're constantly growing to realize more and more that this life here is not our final destination. We're just passing from one place to the next place. We keep, we're, we keep moving toward a certain place and that place is not here on earth. It's up there in heaven. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the things we go through now is like light affliction. Because when we get to heaven, if we look back and say, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. I got COVID 15 times. It wasn't so bad. Everybody was panicking, but it wasn't so bad. Got into a car wreck and uh, I was up for six months. It was horrible at the time, but if you look back, you're going to say it wasn't so bad. When I, when I had my bypass, I thought, this is horrible. Um, if you've been active all of your life and then all of a sudden you have to lay flat on your bed to go to sleep and then you have to do certain things and you have to, you know, and you, you're out of breath, you're winded until you regain your stamina and everything. It's, it, it, it's a real uncomfortable, humbling experience. But looking back, it wasn't so bad. Uh, I talked to a man who visited our church, he and his wife, Shirley and Arnie Carlson from Mesa, Arizona, back in 2015. You might ask me how to remember them. Well, because I called my mistake the other day. I was gonna call Carlton in my phone. I called Carlson and Carlson answered the phone. I got a message and then I hung up. And then I looked at my phone after I hung up. It was Carlson, not Carlton. So I called Carlton. After I called Carlton, I called again Carlson, Arnie Carlson. And I picked and I talked to him. I said, Oh, Brother Carlson, this is Brother Singh in Hawaii. You visited us back in 2015, you and your wife on a vacation. And I said, Sorry, I just left the message at your hands machine. And I'm thinking, you're, you're thinking, who is this weird person telling you these things? Because I told him a message to Carlton. Uh, I'll see you in a certain time. I'll meet you there on this street, like that. Well, how would he know who? Confusion. So I called to clear up the confusion. I called to reveal some things to him. I called to let him know some information so that he would say, oh, it's that, oh, I can't understand. What a nice talk. But, oh, by the way, he said to tell tell you, and I should say this on Sunday, because he said to tell to tell you, the church folks, you must have been nice to this couple because he says, I remember my visit after 2015. He says, I remember visiting the church and you folks are so nice to me. I said, are you sure you came to our church? <laughs> I don't think we're that nice. He said, oh, no, no, I know you're kidding me. 
I say, I'm just kidding. I say, well, that is a good testament. I'll pass it on to them. And so it does make a difference, doesn't it? How you treat people. You know, you might be treating a stranger who might be an angel unawares. That could be. You could be an angel. No, I don't think so. Crimson Tide. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, so let's go to another reference that gives us the idea about revealing, unveiling, uh, disclosing. And so we looked at Romans chapter 8. Now let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We have another word in the epistles that gives us a clue about the revelation. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7. This is about the tribulation time. In chapter 1 verse number 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number nine tells us who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now that's the Lord coming back. And that's the Lord coming back at the time called the second coming the revelation of Jesus Christ. You do remember that when it comes to the end times, when it comes to prophecy, it has been revealed to us in the New Testament that the second coming of Christ is in two phases, two parts, and the part that you just read in First Thess Second Thessalonians chapter one, they mean fire to condemnance, that's over here. There's a parallel scripture and that is Revelation chapter 19. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. And so this here is what we call the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a difference between the two events. And as you read and compare the two scriptures, you see the differences. So when he says in first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse number 7, that the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. Well, revealed, revelation. Disclosing, unveiling. When the Lord comes back in the clouds, you know who's going to see him? You know he, who he re, re, will reveal himself to at that time? When he comes down from heaven on a white horse through the clouds, he will reveal to the world below in the end of the tribulation who he is. And so it'll be a great day of, oh no, it'll be a revealing of the Son of God coming down. In great glory. In great glory. Revelation 1 7 talks about that as well. So, this is what he's talking about here. And he is going to be revealed to the world. The very world that has rejected him for 2,000 years, the very world that says to him, We don't need you in our life. I can do without you. You're not the creator. We are the creator. We are our own God. The very people that rejected him, when he comes back, it will be revealed to them. We were wrong. We were wrong. He is God's son. We were wrong. It will be revealed to them when he comes down. Electoral return of Jesus Christ to this earth. And the Bible says, every eye shall see him. How is that possible? Every eye shall see him. When he returns, every eye shall see him. Think of that, what that means, every eye shall see him. Think of how is that possible that every eye shall see him in this globe, in this world, in the different time zones. How shall every eye see him when he comes down at a particular time zone? When he comes back to Jerusalem, when his feet touches the ground. In that time zone, how will people in Hawaii see him? How will people in New York see him? And so on. Well, I think you know the answer. How people will see him, every eye shall see him. On that particular time or day, whenever he returns at the end of the tribulation to close it out, every eye shall see him. I think we know how, don't we? It's this thing right over here that I'm looking at. It's these devices. It's, it's satellite. It's computer. It's how we see things now live on the East Coast. 
Super Bowl Live, uh, World Series Live, any event now, you can see it live. Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, it doesn't matter. You can see things live right now. In real, real time, they call it. You can see him coming back in real time because of technology. So, he will be revealed to the world as he comes down from heaven. With his mighty angels, will they see the angels as well? I reckon so. They'll see him, they'll see them mighty angels. Uh, and this is not a rock group, mighty angels. This is the Lord coming back with 10,000 upon 10,000 angels. Uh, it'll be an awesome day. We'll come back with him. Not as an angel, <laughs> but as an army. I doubt we do any fighting though. All right, now here's another verse that tells us something about the revelation, which is an unveiling. We have the concept of unveiling in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7. The Lord, through Peter, talks about how we go through manifold temptations, heaviness. Verse 7. Oh, by the way, verse 6 says, Wherefore ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Look at the next three words here in verse number 6. I'd like to point that out to your attention. First Peter 1, verse number 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith. Now, I want to say something about verse 6 and verse 7. He says, for a little time, little while, for now, for a little season, you're going through manifold temptations. Verse 7, the trial of your faith. You know the trials that a Christian goes through in this lifetime because we're not in heaven yet? In heaven, there are no trials. On earth, we have trials. Sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes collateral damage. Sometimes because of other people, sometimes because of our own stupidity and foolishness, our own stubbornness. We, we learn the hard way. But it says this in verse number six, if need be. Now those three words are so important. If need be. You go through manifold temptations, you go through heaviness of trust. If need be, sometimes you just need to feel the pain to learn the lesson. Now, if you're like me, you have a very low threshold for pain. A splinter, a splinter, one-sixth of an inch under my finger, under my skin, paralyzes me. Uh, my threshold for pain is very small. Some of you here, probably you're very brave. You can have a two-by-four right through your arm up to your elbow. It doesn't bother you. go to work still. I mean, you're just like that. Some of you go to the dentist, you don't need any shot to numb, to numb anything. You just say, oh, okay, hey, get over it, doctors, pull. Well, not me. See, we're all different people, but sometimes we, go, we have to go through some suffering because you just need to. The Lord knows that you have to go through the exercise, through the, the gym, his, his gym or his, his, um, his, his uh, discipline, his chastisement for you to grow up. Um, in real life, if children never get disciplined, if they never get sorted, if they never learn anything uh, that they need to learn in the home, when they get out of the home, a little bit older, they're now accountable to the law. At home, they're accountable to the parents. And if they get their chastisement home, it's better for them than to get it there than to get it on the outside when they have to face the judge kind of thing. So if need be, God chastises us to grow us up so that later on we don't get the heavy-handed chastisement if need be. Sometimes you just need to feel the burn, feel the pain to learn that it's good for you. But you won't, you won't get it until later on. As you're going through it, you're asking yourself, what, if God loves me, why'd he do this to me? Or if God loves me, how come this happened to me? See, we all think sometimes, if God loves me, if he's with me, we'll never feel the pain. Have you ever thought that? You haven't? I have. I thought, well, if I'm serving God, I'll never have any bad days. Do you know that Christians get bad days? I mean, they get horrible days. Right. They get up sometimes, car won't start. They got to get to work, got to get to work because you've already been told by the boss, you, you've been late two, three times this month, and one more time, you're out of here. 
the car won't start and you get fired and you ask him you say lord why'd you do this to me you just heard in church the day before this monday that have faith in god he'll take care of you and look what happened and you get all mad now now come on really i mean let's be human here we all feel upset at times because things didn't go right we had to go through some stuff we, we had to get put up in the hospital so to speak on our back so that we look up you know why that is it's very symbolic right you're in traction you're looking up you can't turn this you can't do it that way because you're in traction and you're forced to look up you know why because before you were not looking up before you're just looking at yourself saying oh how mighty i am mighty jiyong king kong you know, watch some of the gorillas, how powerful they are. They're pretty strong creatures. They're pretty ugly, too. Look like some politicians, I know. Some wrestlers or something. But um, when you think you're the, the man, you don't need anybody's help. You don't need to pray. <laughs> because you can handle everything yourself. I mean, you're 50 years old or 45 or 35. And you think you have enough experience, you've been around the block so many times, you know how to handle problems. You don't need God, do you? And the Lord says, oh, you think you're such a big shot? All of a sudden, you realize how weak you are, how helpless you are. If need be, the Lord's trying to help you because he loves you. You don't, need to, you don't need to learn lessons the hard way. Learn from the Bible examples and don't walk in the steps of a Samson. So on, okay? Don't have to be like a demist. No. So, if need be. So, watch now. That was just um, additional tonight. That was um, without any charge. That was just gracious, free. So, the real point is the word in verse number seven that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, but be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing. Of Jesus Christ right now <laughs> right now he's talking about when you go through the trials the hard the hard things and you can't get up and do like your your routine you one day get it you will praise the Lord perhaps at that time at the appearing of the appearing the revealing the unveiling of Jesus Christ when he comes back I guess I'm learning something here Sometimes you just don't know why until later on. We don't know everything, even though maybe the Lord might show us some things after the fact, but it could be years, and you say, now I understand why. As an example, have you ever decided to do something, and you, if you had your way, you would have done it, but then you said you'd regret it? Let me explain. There's a girl I was going to marry when I was uh, 24, 25, something, I don't know. Uh, back in the early mid-70s, I was sure I was going to marry her, and I wanted to marry her. I thought I was in love with her. She was with me and so on. Church secretary's daughter. So what could be better than that, right? Church secretary's daughter. And I said, oh, God, thank you so much for that. And it didn't work out. What happened to my pitter-patter heart? When I was working for a little company in high school, high school days, a summer job, the foreman of the job, he had a way of Telling us we have a break. He did this. Hey, hey, break. That means take a break. 15 minute break. Hey, hey. We love that when he said take a break. Break. Well, the heart was broken. The heart was broken because I really wanted this. I really wanted her. I really wanted, oh, I really, and I was sure this was an answer to my prayer. <laughs> but it didn't work out like that. I know people, and they, oh, after a while, guess who I married? The one I was supposed to have married. Going on 46 years. <laughs> yeah, not sorry, but I would have been sorry if I married the wrong girl. There was a girl I was going to marry, but I went to Bible school instead. Uh, and then she told me, she told me this. So Cam, Japanese girl, so Cam, what, you going to that religious school? I said, yeah. So what? You're going to be a minister? I said, no, I got a baseball scholarship. I don't know, minister what? I'm a young Christian. What do I know? I'm going to do this religious school. Well, you know, if you're going to be a minister, you cannot get married. You know this heart? 
Well, I didn't know to be a minister, actually. Baseball was the attraction. Scholarship. Oh, play baseball. Fun. But through that, uh, I felt the Lord called me to serve him full time. And had I married her, I would look back and say, oh, man, why did I do that? I did run into her, by the way, about four times. Listen to this. After I married to Miranda, living in Conway, living in town, we'd go different places, run to this girl. I'll tell you her name if you're interested, but not, not necessarily. <laughs> run to this girl, and she's married. Okay? And I, you know how when you catch someone's eye, you don't want to face them, because you just want to hide, and I hide behind the in Walmart or someplace, you know. And she said, what, what? I said, it's Linda. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's Linda. And she said, you mean Linda from high school? I said, uh-huh. She says, oh, I don't see what she looks like. <laughs> I said, you know what to look. And she's walking, holding hands with her husband. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, up to you. And the guy was not good looking. The guy was ugly. <laughs> I mean, really, he was. <laughs> He was not attractive. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I wasn't saying, well, no wonder she ditched me for that guy. That guy's a, that guy's a, he's the man. Man, he makes me feel like a, like a child. That guy's really, he wasn't like that at all. He was probably, you know, 15, 20 years older and uh, he was very dark. Not that that was the problem, but, you know, he looked like a frog. I mean, how can I expect, <laughs> not I mean to make fun, okay, but I mean, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, anyway, she said, let's go say hello. I said, no, we, we went to say hello. And uh, we shook hands and everything, you know, and uh, oh, and, uh, so-and-so, this is Cam from high school. Shook his hand, how you doing? Nice to meet you. You know, and then, uh, you know, Miranda gives her a hug, whatever, you know, that kind of Hawaiian type thing. And uh, I'm thinking, I was walked away. Oh, thank God I didn't marry her. Well, one thing for sure was, if I met her, I would have regretted it because she would have pulled me down. I would have buckled to her, the pressure of not being a minister, a preacher. I would be afraid of offending her, having a fight all the time. We'd also fight because I'd want to serve the Lord and she would not want to. Well, how, how's that going to be good? That cannot be good. It would not be good. I would not advise someone to marry a non-saved person. Anyway, um, that would have been a rude mistake, but... I had to go through some of these heartache things to realize after a while, God will teach me a lesson. Put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6 33. I didn't know the verse then, but I know the verse later on. And I look back and say, Thank you, God, for letting me suffer heartache to realize it was better for me to put my confidence in you to pick her for me rather than me go out my own with my own carnal desires and uh, just going by sight and ignoring the biblical uh, precepts about who I should marry. And when I surrendered and gave in and let him have his way, boom, the next Sunday, guess who I noticed in church? Her. That's what I noticed. Now, she didn't look like that. She looks better now because she's more... Um, you know, mature and all the kind of thing. And, but um, she looked different than when I first saw her. So three years had passed. And so I'm telling you, uh, sometimes we have to have God show us something, reveal something to us by experience, by a heartache sometimes, by a trial, sometimes by a, a loss, by a defeat. One more thing about revealing. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. 113. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the appearing, at the revelation, at the unveiling of the disclosing of the, you see, of the, of Jesus Christ. At that time, I think, I'm guessing, at that time when we see the Lord at the rapture, at that time, I think, Something's going to kick in and we're going to realize some things that we never realized before in the fullest of sense. I think at that time we'll realize things that it'll just maybe just come to us and say, oh, so 
there is a revelation. So this is an unveiling. This is a showing. It is revealing something. It's a manifestation. And so a lot of things will be revealed at the coming of Christ, at the rapture for us. A lot of things that we did not and could not fully understand. And so when the Lord comes back over here, I need to tell you this. When he comes back over here, he will come back in like manner as he went. In Acts chapter 1, chapter 1, he went up after he was with the disciples for 40 days before nights after his resurrection. He went up bodily. If you can look at my pen, he went up bodily. And they watched him, the crowd of over 500, watched him leave the earth. Imagine. I saw, um, was it the Tesla guy? What's his name? The Tesla guy? Musk. Musk. Uh, I guess the SpaceX or whatever take off. I saw one that came back and crashed. There's none that took off. And all of the, the employees were watching it from a distance. It taken off like that. I guess they figured out the jet fuel or the rocket, whatever, the mixture. And it take off, took off. And it was going up and up and up. Now watch this. When Jesus left earth in Acts chapter 1, read it sometime. While he was talking to them, the disciples, he was taken up into the clouds. And they, on the ground, they had him go up. And she disappeared into the clouds. Two angels came by and said, hey, what are you guys looking at? This same Jesus will return in like manner. So as he went up, bodily, literally, physically, the angel said he will return in like manner. That means the same way. The same way he went up, the same way he'll come down. This coming down to the earth is right over here. The cause of the tribulation. That's when he wipe out his enemies. Read your Bible. Get excited about what you read. It'll tell you about the future. It'll tell you about what will happen. Book Revelation, it reveals more, much more than you can ever imagine. Do not trust movies, novels, people's guesses, opinions, speculations about what's going to happen in the future. Go by what the Bible says. Go by the book of Revelation. It'll be an unveiling of what will happen to this world. And most of all, it will unveil the greatest person to ever walk this earth. It'll unveil the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that day, when every eye shall see him, they'll be sorry that they rejected him. There's so much more. I'm going to try to cut Revelation verse by verse over the next few. I can't do it all in one month. But I, I, I'm suspecting I'm going to have to spend a lot of time to try to... to to dig out the nuggets of these verses verse by verse. That's what my, my goal is. Now, I want to say this, though. It's an unveiling. It's not a book of secrets. The Revelation is an unveiling. It's not about keeping things locked up shut where you cannot know. It's about non-secret. It's about disclosure. It's about full disclosure about what will happen uh, to this earth. It's not a book of secrets. And uh, if somebody tells you, I'm going to teach the book of Revelation and show you something you never knew before. I wouldn't believe that because what has been reviewed uh, in Revelation has been reviewed to certain saints in the past and uh, what the Lord showed them. If it's true, he showed to us today if it is true. There's nothing new under the sun. We will know what he wants us to know from the book of Revelation. And so the power of the book itself is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's unveiling of truth. It's not hiding truth. It's to make clear, not to make mysterious. It's not to get you guessing. It's to get you to say, ah, I get it. Ah. Now you might want to say, ah, so, I see. I see, I see, I see. Well, I don't know, but you're going to say, ah, I see that. It's a revelation. It's to make clear, not to make mysterious. And so uh, theologians, those who study the Bible full-time, and uh, they get, I don't know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. But um, theologians, they read the book of Revelation, study it for their whole lives, and uh, they get more questions than they get answers. They get more confused and more clear about things. It's to make us clear. Uh, the Bible's a circle, by the way. The Bible's a circle. It's a beginning, and it comes back full circle. That's the Bible. In Genesis, the first book, what do you have in Genesis? God's creation. God creating things literally in six days. The rest on the seventh day. What do you have in Revelation? God deals with creation again. 
returns it back to the conditions of the Garden of Eden. It's a circle. What do you have in the Garden of Eden? You have the first couple sinning. They broke fellowship with God. I should really do this hand. Broke fellowship with God. What do you have in Revelation? God restores the earth. God restores things. It climaxes the complete picture of redemption. What do you have in the book of Genesis in the early parts of the Bible? You have Lucifer. Lucifer probably fell sometime before. Um, and he became the God of this world. What do you have in Revelation? You have the devil finally incarcerated forever. Forever gone. He is free to roam. He was roaming from Genesis all the way to Revelation and then he's finally incarcerated. He's dealt with. The devil will be dealt with. He'll be dealt with. It's a circle. Then you also have uh, throughout, throughout the Bible, especially from the Gospels where Jesus Christ came, you have people hating him because of who he is. In the tribulation or in the book of Revelation, you have how Jesus Christ is victorious over his enemies completely, totally, once and for all. Ladies and gentlemen, you are on the winning side. Amen. Revelation tells us that. Amen. We might be losing now here and there. We might be crushed here and there now, but we're not losers in the end. It's just, in basically got nine innings. It's just the second inning, the seventh inning. It's not the whole inning, the whole game yet. But when it's over, we know what's going to happen when it's over. The Lord wins. He's victorious Amen. over his enemies and God is glorified. And um, Revelation is how things wrap up, how things wind up in the end. We know what the end's going to be like. I like to know what the end's going to be like. I don't like to read something or watch something. and I don't know. I want to know the score of the games before I watch their highlights. Somebody says, Tim says, oh, you don't want to do that. It's no fun knowing who wins. I said, the whole fun of the game is to know who wins. I want to watch. If my team wins, I'm going to watch. If they lose, why should I want to watch? He said, no, you watch every single time. No, that, that's a waste of time. It's like fishing, waste of time. I said, I want to know what the score is, so I'll watch it if I if my team won. I know who wins in the end. I know which team wins. The Jesus team wins. Yes. Okay? Yes. You, you want to be on the Jesus team because the, the Jesus team will win. It will win. And that's what we're on. We're on his team. We're his people. We're going to win. For hundreds of years, the church, the local church, the body of Christ even... Those who are not belong to any church, anybody who is saved, they've been persecuted. The dark ages. Beyond that, even now in, in Africa, Northern Africa, Morocco, other parts of Vietnam, China, you have Christians persecuted. They're losing right now, but they're going to win in the end. <laughs> Communists or dictators, whoever they would be, um, secular, uh, humanist, uh, whatever. Look, they think they're going to win now. They just won that inning. In the end, the revelation tells us, it reveals to us, it unveils to us, it shows us who wins. We win. It's not just rhetoric, it's not just a little cute thing. We win. The victory that is in Jesus Christ and he will win, it shows that in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation 119, let me look at this verse, and um, this is just introduction tonight. No verse by verse, but look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19. There are some ways to look at the book and study the book. Look at 119. This is a good clue. The Lord tells John, verse number 19, Write the things which thou hast seen. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, what do you find from verse number 19 as far as time? Write the things that thou hast seen. Right to think that are and to think that shall be. What is that called? You have three tenses past, present, and future. Write what you've seen. Write what you see. Write the things that shall be. And that's the book of Revelation. That is one way of saying this is how the book is laid out. It's a little more complicated than that, but this is a clue as to how you will understand the book of Revelation. Past, present, future. Now, also, I want to tell you this before we close the introduction to the book of Revelation. There are two ways to understand the book of Revelation. Here are two ways. Number one, when it comes to believing what you read, 
there is always a method or a viewpoint of understanding the book of Revelation. I'll use the word viewpoint. Your viewpoint is going to be one of two ways. Number one, either be literal or it'll be figurative, allegorical, symbolic, not literal. So you have two choices here. Now here's the choice you ought to take. I'm going to tell you the choice you ought to take. I'm going to tell you because I'm not leaving it up to chance. You should take it this way. Take Revelation literally for what you what you read. Take the words for what it's what at face value. Okay. Water means water. Okay. A horse means horse, and so on. There's a there's a real big list of words that you should take literally. Jesus Christ coming on a white horse. You have a choice. Is he coming on a white horse? Is that literal or is that figurative? Well, let me give you an example here in Revelation. Let's take a look. An example of how to take it the right way. Come to chapter, oh, let's see, chapter 20. Chapter 20. Very quickly, chapter 20 as a teaser here. <laughs> uh, verse number 5. We see a number. Is this number literally a number? Is this just symbolic? Revelation chapter 20, verse number 5. I'll just go ahead and read it. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse number 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part of the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. A thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. Look at verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So you have a term, you have a number, thousand years. So you take that one or two ways. It is literally a thousand years, or it is symbolic, figurative, allegorical. Then you ask yourself this question. If it is figurative, Symbolic, symbolic of what? It's much better to take literally because Jesus Christ will reign on earth for a thousand years right here. When it comes here, the thousand years is going to be right over here. All right? So he comes back, sets up the kingdom after months or years of, of cleaning up the debris and the, the, the carcasses and so on. Then you'll have on earth a kingdom. Kingdom on earth for a thousand years. We haven't gotten there yet. It's been a literal kingdom of a thousand years. So that is a way of understanding. Take things literally for what it says. Or be here be here Sunday at 9.30. What does that mean? 9.30. Doesn't mean, let's see, nine apple trees and 35. No, what are you, you're crazy. There's no nothing to read into that 9.30. We have morning service at 10.45 a.m. I will take that literally. We got baptism at 4 p.m. What does he mean, 4 p.m.? 4 p.m., let's see, 4 comes before 5. 5 is the number of grace or judgment. So 4 p.m. must be the, what are you doing? You're going crazy for nothing. 4 p.m. is 4 p.m., all right? Now also, I want you to consider this when you interpret Revelation. Um, Revelation chapter seven, I, I have to stop here, but this is a good, uh, example your Jehovah's Witnesses believe that it is they that this is about Revelation chapter 7 they come to verse number 3 7 3 you will come across this reference if you ever deal with one and you have to be armed to know that they are totally in error because they take an allegorical figurative spiritual, symbolic viewpoint. But look at what it says. Revelation 7, verse number 3. In the tribulation, saying, Heard not, angel descended, saying, verse number 3, Heard not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Some servants are going to be protected in their foreheads. Verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. Here comes the number again. Watch carefully. There were sealed 144,000. 144,000. That's a lot of people. 
of all the tribes of the children of Israel. How do you take that verse? Next verse, verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Aser were sealed. Now, what do you have here? The 12 tribes are listed, and from each tribe, so many thousands are taken. 12,000. 12,000. And then 12 times 12 is 144,000. Do you know that they allegorize this number and this number and say these are the original JWs? That's what they are. Now, where did you get that interpretation? Because they did not take a literal viewpoint of interpreting Revelation. It's that plain. When that happens, you get all mixed up. You can make it sound anything. You can find Richard Nixon in the book of Revelation of the Antichrist. You can find, um, what's his name, um, Secretary of State one time, uh, Jewish, um, oh, what is his name? Jewish guy talked really low like that. Like, oh, 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 he's still alive. What's his name? Anyway, that he was the Antichrist. Some say Barack Obama was the Antichrist. He might be right. Uh, somebody says that, um, you see, they can take anything they want to and interpret it like that. They'd be totally wrong. Totally wrong. If you take the literal viewpoint, more than not, you come out right. So I hope you will understand Revelation is not a hiding. It is not mysterious. It is requiring thinking. But most of all, it requires believing what the Bible says. Hey. You come out okay. So, past, present, future could be the outline. It tells us how things end. We do know. All right. Any questions for the introduction? Okay. All right. I'm glad you came tonight. I'm glad you folks are watching and listening by the media. And if you have any questions, you can just send a text, send an email. All right. Time for us to go home. Time for us to eat. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for the book of Revelation. Thank you that we do know what the end will be like. We thank you we know our future. We thank you that our Lord will be victorious over this world, over this system, over the devil. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to you because we are all on the winning team. We don't want to cheapen it by saying team, but we understand team. We understand being on the winning team. We're on the winning side. We're on Jesus Christ's side. You be faithful to him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.